0: I'm your host, Cynthia. And I'm your host, Mel. And we just had such an amazing conversation with this week's guest, Megan Hakkinen. We both actually know her on a personal level. She is a Canadian ultracyclist.
1: She has a boatload of accomplishments and accolades in the ultracycling world, including some overall wins uh, across the men and women's category recently and she's evening.
0: out there actively kicking dudes butts amazing but it's awesome. we love it we love <laughs> to see it
1: support women love to see it and um yeah we're really excited she shared some wild things with us that both of us our mouths literally were like jaw dropped yeah, this,
0: open <laughs> the conversation went way like megan took us uh on some detours that we did not expect to take in they were they were really really wonderful and can't thank her enough for her vulnerability and everything she shared on today's show so of course we get into her cycling accolades but it was really just truly wonderful to learn about the person behind all of these accomplishments and I'm pretty sure we both cried.
1: Uh, We did I had a tear and I saw you wipe away yours so you know Megan thank you for being such a wonderful guest let's dive in and here we go.
0: Megan, how's it going today?
2: Hi, I'm doing really well. It's good to be here with you and Cynthia. And Cynthia, happy to see you too.
1: Yeah, happy to be here with both of you amazing ladies. Uh, Megan, where are you calling in from today?
2: I'm in Kelowna, BC. So um, yeah, I'm at home. I still haven't unpacked from the Silver State 508, but that's okay.
0: Also, congratulations. (laughs) So for anybody like Megan has... Also, this is like a very, I guess, big week, big day Mm. for you, but the Silver State 508 is a Race Across America qualifier. Um, That's right. It's a supported race, right?
2: Yeah, a little bit different than what I usually do. Hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Cool. And today is also publication day for your newest memoir or novel.
2: It's a I call it a travel memoir, bike adventure memoir. It's all real. There's no fiction. It's um, it's all my life that you're reading, my um, highs and lows and screw ups, and relationships. And-, <laughs> and what's the name of this memoir? Yeah, it's called Shifting Gears, Coast to Coast on the Trans Am Bike Race, and it's about my very first ultra, the Trans Am, mm. because wow. who signs up for yeah. a 6,800-kilometer ride to-, <laughs> to get started? wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 6,800 like 6,800 kilometers kilometers was your first race
2: yeah it's across the U.S. and I had a background in bike touring so I figured like I was good at touring I would do something long Mm -hmm. and I never thought of myself as a fast rider so I kind of figured the longer the better that gives me a chance to like you know um, catch up to people as they scratch or start Mm -hmm. to slow down with (laughs) physical ailments Um, it is the longest race I've ever finished though so it's kind of funny
1: what's a distance wait that's of transcontinental It It changes
2: from year to year. I think this year, uh, around 4,000. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wait, so it is much longer.
1: And it was your first one. That's so impressive. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Impressive, (laughs) stupid, delusional. Those are all words that I throw around Mm. when describing myself. Mm.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I get that too. Like people will say, oh my gosh, how do you do that? Like, I wish I could do that. I was like, honestly, the physical part is like, it's hard. It's difficult. It hurts. But really, like you kind of just have to be a bit aloof (laughs) about like all of the difficult things and like kind of foolish and be like whatever it's fine like i'll deal with it if it happens and whatever like you can't really in my opinion you can't be like so serious and calculated about it unless maybe you're racing ram which we can I'm going to talk about that.
2: No, I do think that you have to recognize that a lot of things could happen, but you, um, you know, you can't reasonably like protect against all them, right? You can prepare against a lot of things just by doing stretching and strength and mobility work or whatever, um, studying mm-hmm. the route, but you know, it's easy to obsess over things. And there's mm-hmm. a few things that people always point out, like what about saddle sores? What about bears? And, um, and if yeah. you obsess over those things, you're, you're, it's going to uh, be a barrier to you getting out there so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: totally well we know a little bit about you and if anybody googles you you've got like a whack load of palmares and such incredible accolades but in your words uh if you could just give us a quick intro about like who you are what you're up to um you're recovering from silver state 508 obviously um is that 508k
1: or miles
2: no Miles. that's what
1: i thought i was gonna say that seems a little short for you, Megan. Anyway, please tell us more about you and how you like to ride much longer than five hundred and eight k.
2: Yeah, for sure. So my name is Megan Hackenan I'm a Kelowna-based rider and ultra endurance cyclist. Um, I grew up in Surrey in the Lower Mainland, and I have a background in team sports and contact sports. So my two. What's a, wait? What what's a contact sport? Uh like rugby, roller derby. You played rugby. Okay. I loved rugby. Oh my I gosh. Love- I was a very aggressive youth. Wait, I love to hear <laughs> and, this. And,
0: and I heard roller derby in there. Yeah. Wait, yeah, you said I'd roller say... derby too? Oh my
2: God. I you <laughs> focus on the rugby.
1: <laughs> oh my God, Megan. Wait, this is amazing. Please tell us more.
2: <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So I had a lot of like anger issues as a child mm. and my parents put me in Taekwondo and I found the discipline was really helpful. Mm. When I got to high school, mm. those issues surfaced again. I was kind of a bully in gym class. I had trouble finding people I could relate oh. to. Mm. And then I discovered uh, rugby and we had. I had a grade eight through 12 team, all women. And I just found great mentorship, a great physical outlet. Mm. I could hit people mm. in a legal <laughs> environment. <laughs> it's extremely satisfying for me, getting on all that teenage angst. Mm. Um, and then I had some knee injuries. As an adult, I discovered roller derby while living in Vancouver. And I was working at a roller skate rink Mostly um, doing a night shift for uh, for hockey and stuff like that. We had a weekly yeah. public skate, and all these derby girls would come, and they were like mm. majestic, beautiful unicorns on quad roller <laughs> skates. And I just like fell in love but with just... them. I had so many girl crushes for the first time in my life. And uh, they practiced there on Saturdays. I think they had the ten to midnight slot, so I always signed up to be the host when they were practicing, just so mm. I could watch them skate. And I idolized these women for um, like a year or two, and then um i bought a pair of skates and learned how to skate myself i would stay oh at the gosh. rink after hours and ride mm. around by myself listening to like ace of bass and practicing <laughs> my spots. <laughs> <laughs> um i think in 20 2012 i signed up for uh fresh meat which was the intake program i think there's a different name for it wait now. it's called Carted Fresh Meat. meat? Mm-hmm. It was. I think they call it like rookie training or something a little more PC. But yeah, it was called freshman. I mean that.
0: Fresh meat aligns with like the angsty mm. storyline mm. is kind of what I'm. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. And, and roller derby is kind of an underground grassroots. It started out all female. Yeah. Now it's pretty welcoming to all genders. There's some men only team. There's some co-ed teams, but I played for the terminal city roller girls now terminal city roller derby. And um, mm. my home team was the faster pussy cats kill, kill, kill. And <laughs> then I, uh... <laughs> yeah right we were really we had a great team we really what year was all of um 2012 through 2014 or 2011 through 2014 kind of in that era um oh my gosh yeah it was great we had some pretty big pretty big games. We played in Minamaru, Minamaru Arena in Richmond and we played at the New West Curling Rink. I went down to Seattle and played in the um the big sports center there like downtown. Whoa. It was crazy. There right. Literally thousands of people watching women in fishnets like <laughs> each other in a very competitive athletic fashion. <laughs> so It's both like racy and sporty and when people uh, you know when people are like oh I don't know about women's sports maybe they're just not as entertaining. I'm like you're wrong and so many yeah. Go watch roller derby. Go watch roller derby. It it was just so much fun. Um, I played for the travel team. I got to go places like Richmond, Virginia, and the Kootenays. And we played in like LA and San Diego. It it was awesome. Um, and then I had a couple knee injuries mm-hmm. and just couldn't handle the thought of re-injuring myself in contact sports after mm-hmm. going through rehab a few times. So, mm-hmm. um, it was really hard to step away from roller derby. My persona was shorts and Magar, like shorts and Nagger with an M. Oh um, mm-hmm. so I took on this like hyper masculine, like Austrian accented superhero s character. Mm-hmm. And, and that's who I became when I was skating and I was this powerhouse, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really fun time in my life. Mm-hmm. It taught me a lot about teamwork and training. And I really loved the the skaters that I got to meet because you get really close when you're hitting and grabbing and touching each other all the time. Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: That is okay. So then like, cycling is quite a departure from B? contact sports. So this was what, did you say 2014? And we're now 2023. So, kind of what was the segue? Obviously, you're injured. How did you get from there to here?
2: Yeah, I first got into cycling in 2009 after I had my first knee injury. I was going to university at Simon Fraser in Burnaby and living in Surrey. It's a really long Mm -hmm. commute. So, I started biking part way to kind of rehab my knee and make my commute more interesting. Um, I fell Mm -hmm. in love with it right away. I had a $50 bike that I bought, used, and would Mm -hmm. lock it to the bus stop and just hop on the bus for the rest of my journey. Uh, I was graduating school and I realized its potential for long distance travel and did a couple of overnighters to Vancouver Island with friends. And then my sister and I planned a trip down the Pacific coast. Um, and and after that trip, I was just hooked. I did a few other big trips like across Canada, um, the Sierra Cascades back into mainland Mexico. Um, and then I kind of put it aside when I got really into roller derby and I just mm-hmm. used it to commute and get around as my my vehicle basically. Um after my third ACL tear and my second knee surgery, I needed to, yeah, I needed to find a competitive outlet and it it couldn't be a contact sport Mm. um because like I said, I I just knew I couldn't deal with the devastation of rehabbing my knees again. And totally. Yeah. It it timed up with a move to Saskatchewan to do my Masters of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. Um so I was moving to a new town. I didn't have a car. And I wanted to kind of explore and get outside the city. Um, I had heard about Rondonier cycling and didn't really know what okay. it was and contacted the club. And um, a couple of the members met me one-on-one for coffee to tell me what what Rondonier cycling is all about. And it's basically a non-competitive mm-hmm. form of ultra-distance cycling where you ride between 200 and 1,200 kilometers uh, without mm-hmm. support between checkpoints or controls. In the prairies, those yeah. were usually gas stations or um, motels. <laughs> <laughs> There's not really much out there.
0: Those are like the best kind of, in, I mean, I didn't think I'd be a gas station or motel
2: girly. And,
0: <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. So like, that's
2: awesome. It was good training for ultra for me, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are staples.
2: So that's kind of how I got into uh, long distance cycling. Like I'd been cycling longer, but I didn't turn competitive until kind of some of my other outlets were shot down. And um, I think that you know, if I if I decide I'm done with cycling, I will find something else to compete in, whether mm. it's like weightlifting or bodybuilding or mm. like I don't know, kayaking. Yeah, I, knew I, that I for sure. Yeah, I, there's competitive a lot of outlets. So
1: important in in like just makes it so yeah. you can feel like you can succeed in other ways in your life. Also, it gives you such a platform for something that's totally separate from your professional life or, you know, your relationship, even though a lot of times Mm -hmm. your relationships are fully centered around whatever it is sport wise that you're doing. But I hear what you're saying there.
0: I can. The other thing I've like kind of come to realize with sports and I mean, someone out there's probably says it more succinctly than me, but sports and being competitive make you feel like anything is possible. Mm you know, like there's always a really good underdog story or there's always kind of like a sky's the limit place for you in sport. And so it really expands, you know, what you can actually do with your life, whether or not it's just sports or other things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so true. Yeah.
1: You got, okay. You're moved on from, from the roller derby, you're fully immersed in cycling how did you get into the competitive side? Like, were you, you were craving it, you were missing it? Or what was it like? Was there a friend who was like, you should do this race? Or what was the the catalyst?
2: So when I was living in Saskatchewan, I was um, surrounded by riders, most of them were smokers and drinkers Mm -hmm. and lovely, creative people. (laughs) Not the kind of people who are going to push you into a Mm -hmm. bike race, though. Mm -hmm. Um, In 2016, I started doing the Rondonier cycling rides, And that was the same year that Lil Wilcox won the Trans Am bike race. And that was all over the news and put that event on my radar. There weren't as many um, long ultras around, I don't think. And I wasn't really researching them either. Um, But once I uh, saw that she'd won this race, it completely transformed about how I thought about my own limitations and what I could do. I wasn't riding a road bike at the time. I had like kind of a hybrid commuter bike that I was using for touring. But in the fall that year, I bought a road bike and I started training for the Trans Am bike race because I wanted to see how, how I could do as a competitor myself. So um, it's, it's just amazing how inspiration plays out like that. And I think that's why it's so important that we have a, mm. a variety of role models of you know mm-hmm. ethnicities mm-hmm. and ages mm-hmm. and genders so that people can see someone that they directly relate to and use that maybe mm-hmm. as a. Um, a jumping off point for their own journey and exploration
1: fully agree I was 100% inspired by that story about Lael a little later in my like a couple years Mm -hmm. after you but it's crazy that one story of one woman doing a bike race can inspire so many other people to do something similar or totally different but just that platform is
0: really important just plants the seed Mm -hmm. and you're like wait they can do that like I can go and do my version of it like what the heck um which is I mean I think we talked about this a little bit before we hit record but really the goal behind the show is to just it doesn't matter what your story is but really giving you a platform to share how you do things because like you said Megan if you can't see it then like how can you be it right so just giving folks someone to identify Mm -hmm. with um Mm -hmm. which is amazing. That's so cool that you're so inspired by that. And then went and and did it (laughs) yourself.
2: I love it. That's amazing. And yeah, I had very little support in my own community. And Mm -hmm. I talk about this in my book, like people, um, Mm -hmm. bikepacking wasn't so big where I was living. I was involved in the cycling community in that I was uh, organizing bike to work day. I volunteered at the bike co-op. I volunteered at the bike valley, So more in the commuting community cycling side of things. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know people who, um, who did ultra racing. And I wasn't interested in doing shorter races. I did a road riding clinic, and it was terrifying. Like I, I mm. like had never clipped in before, except in spin class. And I didn't like being close <laughs> to people. There's a lot of anxiety there. So I, I just didn't have a lot of local support. Um, the randonneur yeah. cyclists were helpful in teaching me like, things like how to ride through the night, things um Mm -hmm. like using you know better lights than what I had on and always bring extra food and layers and those kind of Mm -hmm. key items of preparation and safety which were really really important for me but I didn't have people interested in racing that I talked to really
0: yeah did you do any of the rondineering like were there rondineering events in Saskatchewan
2: Yeah. Or just a club? Uh, There was a club and we did rides between 200 and 600. So the full Brevet Mm -hmm. series. The first year I went to um, Manitoba and I did a 1200 called the Swan Lake 1200. And I was so poorly prepared. I literally like put a bike computer on the day before and had to calibrate it. (laughs) I had my cue cards printed on paper. And then one of the Rondineers laminated them for me because oh. they were like, if it rains, Aww. you're going to be in trouble.
0: Yeah. They're going to melt. <laughs> There's no Wi-Fi out
2: there, no cell service. Um, but I, I made it to the finish and I think some of the other riders like kind of gave me a helping hand and mm. were worried about me, frankly, and rode with me. And I, mm. I had the physical strength, but I didn't have the smarts to maybe like ride very safely by myself at mm. that time. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Fair enough. And, I'm trying, I'm kind of getting lost in the timeline a little bit, but I know your first book was about your ride down the coast with your sister, which was a rather big tour, if I understand correctly, like how, how long was that?
2: And was that pre-Roginneuring? That's right. Yeah. So that was my first big bike tour in 2009. And, mm. uh, I started mm-hmm. in Terrace, BC and rode out to the coast, noodled around on Haida Gwaii for a bit, took the ferry to Port Hardy and went down Vancouver Island yeah. I met her in Seanigan Lake where she was living in a treehouse at an eco-village. She's a bit of a hippie.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's cool. And also for, I mean, people can't see our faces, but when Megan said hi to my jaw dropped And Cynthia. And for listeners, hi to is this insanely gorgeous coastal community up in northern British Columbia. Um, It's quite remote. like It's quite difficult to get to. I mean, Terrace is also northern BC, but anyways, it's people should do a Google search of Haida Gwaii because it's like, I would recommend it as like a vacation, Mm. Um, obviously with like meaningful interactions with the local communities, but uh, it's a very, very cool place in the world.
2: I have a uh, undergrad in anthropology and archaeology, so I was really Mm -hmm. keen to learn about the Haida culture, and it's the um, place where the, you know, The story of Raven and the First Man takes place. So, there's a lot of Mm. really interesting stuff going on there that just made the trip extra, extra meaningful for me, I guess.
0: Also, you have a degree in anthropology. What, like, you have all these layers roller (laughs) derby, rugby, a degree in fine arts, creative writing, and anthropology. So, you have so many unique perspectives that you're just bringing into all the things Mm. you're doing. That's super
2: cool. I'm like 10 years older than you, so I've had a lot of time to get more (laughs) degrees. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but still, I mean, I love the rabbit holes of just how many different interests you have and also how you bring that towards like the fact that your degree kind of ties into biking and how you see the world and how you're able to interact. I think that is just such an important thing. Like, yes, the bike is a great physical outlet, but it's also a really wonderful way to interact with the world Mm -hmm. around us and learn a little bit more about communities and things like Mm -hmm. that.
2: Totally, for sure. And I actually started doing an undergrad in science, and I didn't, I didn't like it. I didn't get it. I wasn't very good at it. Mm. So I took a year off. I traveled. I came back, and then I totally um, reevaluated and, and started over again. And I started in, in the arts because I just found it more meaningful to learn about people and culture than math and equations. And mm. I completely respect like the sciences as as a discipline. It just wasn't for me, and I'm glad that mm-hmm. I was able to shift, um, shift that way because I, I don't think I'd be very happy or I would have just flunked out and not finished my degree, which is fine also. Um, but I'm glad totally that I, fine. <laughs> I, I'm just glad I let my passions kind of, um, drive my path a bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that mm-hmm. has been, um, you know, something I try and continue doing, um, going, going forward with life. Yeah.
0: And what was, so, this was your first big bike tour with your sister. What was like the most bizarre or wildest story or like biggest learning curve on this trip? Because I mean, everybody has those on their first trip.
2: Yeah. So, I think the biggest thing and the most moving thing for me was just how easily we were accepted into other people's lives. Mm. It, it took a little time, but. Once we arrived in the States, we were mostly like stealth camping and sleeping behind churches mm-hmm. and in parks after dark, and that's not really how to make friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> so once we stopped lurking around the fringes and started tapping into the warm showers and the couch surfing network and making ourselves mm-hmm. like open to invitations from strangers, we started really, really connecting with people in surprising ways. And I guess one story that I write about in my book is Um, when we got to Santa Cruz, we met a fellow who had the same panniers as my sister. They're bright yellow, waterproof, like orderly panniers. And he invited us to stay with him. And, um, the next day we planned to leave, but him and my sister were both into agriculture. He was like the farm manager (laughs) at the university (laughs) farm. So he took us up there and we discovered through someone else that his brother had just committed suicide the day before. Yeah. Like really heavy stuff. And Alicia and I were ready to go. We had our stuff on our bikes and he was staying at the farm. And we talked about it and we decided this fellow's wife was out of town at a conference and we just couldn't bear to leave him by himself in this really hard time. And we didn't know him that well. We'd met him the day before. But we went back to his place. We unlocked the door with the key he showed us, you know, in the, the bush. And um, yeah. we started cooking dinner. And, you know, he came home and we there was this moment like, oh, gosh, what's he going to say? We've just like come back to his house. <laughs> and he tossed us a bag of carrots and asked if we could include them in the meal somehow and started pulling out plates oh, and cutlery. And we mm-hmm. had this really lovely, quiet evening talking about his travels in Yellowstone and Yosemite yeah. and mm-hmm. my sister and I's trip. And, um when we left the next day I just remember saying goodbye and and feeling like we had this like heart-to-heart connection with someone and we were there when he needed someone and you know his wife was just arriving um in the airport and he was about to go pick her up so he Mm -hmm. would have someone to continue this healing processing Mm -hmm. journey with Mm -hmm. but um but but yeah so things like that that you would never anticipate it's not necessarily a happy story (laughs) going there (laughs) You know, I mean, not funny, but but yeah, it's it's life, right? And so I think getting to witness people's yeah. lives in a very close, unexpected way was um was not mm-hmm. something we prepared for and it wasn't it wasn't always good, but um yeah. I I don't you know I wouldn't I wouldn't change any of it on our end, right? Mm-hmm. Like we learned a lot from people and just human nature and things like that. So wow. yeah.
0: Well I think that's like the beautiful part about this Particular type of cycling is because when you think about it, really it's a very basic form of riding. You know, you ride, you find somewhere to sleep, and you find some, like, you find food to eat, and you're just like basic survival skills. Of course, there's other, you know, things happening around you, but you're very vulnerable when you're in that mm-hmm. state. And so, because you're so vulnerable, the connections you form with people happen so much quicker and on such a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And you're able to really like, actually be that person who who could have been a safe harbor for that gentleman or that person that you had met because you're already in that vulnerable mm-hmm, state yourself mm-hmm. uh, and, and understanding like the whole kind of spectrum of emotions which yeah that obviously a challenging memory and like experience for you to have but what a beautiful thing to have gone through and experienced to be like that was i'm sure that left
2: quite the mark on you it did definitely yeah yeah i think you you said that really well oh, I'm having like, (laughs) I teared up. I teared up. I was like,
0: whoa, I didn't realize we were going to go there, but we did, which I think
1: humans. It's a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Even when you may not know them, sometimes your life just puts you somewhere.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. I mean, I can think of uh, just the number of actually profound life conversations I've had with people during ultras Mm -hmm. because you're both just like turned completely inside out and you really like, it's, obviously cycling does not replace therapy, but you have quite therapeutic conversations with people because you're going that deep. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wait, oh my gosh, I can't believe I just talked about that. But I did. And you come out of it feeling
2: like a little bit lighter and a little bit almost wiser. Mm -hmm. Kind of the wrong word, but I think having all that open time too. you know, there's no there's no like it's not like meeting a friend where you're catching up for coffee, where you kind of have to cover like the alphabet in mm. an hour. Mm. It's open and free range and organic. And I think that's a really um, beautiful, yeah, really beautiful quality. And, and it's so surprising when you don't know someone, the twists and turns that that conversation can take and, and the similarities you might find within them and the connections. It's, um, yeah, you just never know.
1: It's like you do an ultra and you ride with somebody and then you're like, you're a lifelong friend. You're somebody that when I see you at the next race or if we meet up in another country somewhere, like I know a lot about you in a in a very short amount of time. <laughs> and, you know, you just have that bond, you know, they're where the person is like, hey, I met you in this race. And if you ever want to come and stay with me in Switzerland or wherever yeah. I live, like and you say the same thing, it's like, you know. That's it's really special that the bikes can bring people together, but also in a in such a raw form, like in a race or in, in a I'm sure a is probably like something similar like that. I haven't done anything in yeah. that way. But, yeah, just bringing people together. And I'm sure your books have a lot of stories like that that you have experienced. And, um, yeah, share those things. So you wrote this first book in 2009. And then you wrote your next book and just came out today, 2023. So that's like a pretty big time gap. A lot has happened. You found more of the competitive side of bikes, which I want to know more about. I love the competition side (laughs) of bikes. Um, Tell us a little bit more about how that kind of flowed and ebbed and how your book came to be and all of these things.
2: Yeah, for sure. So uh, when I did the Trans Am bike race, it was all new to me. And that's why I ended up writing about it, because just like South Away documented my first big bike tour, mm-hmm. Shifting Gears documents my first ultra. And mm-hmm. I think these firsts mm-hmm. are sometimes more memorable just yeah. because you're doing everything for the first time, mm-hmm. being in a ditch, using a basket <laughs> at a grocery store. <laughs> you know for me like
0: wait you wait you had never used a basket in a grocery store gas
2: station a gas station (laughs) station.
0: (laughs) I was like Megan we have very different life
2: experiences
1: pretty sure like I "I use a family size cart
0: actually
2: (laughs) no I actually hate the carts because I often have to to bike with stuff and I Mm. don't want to get too Uh, much the basket's a good limit okay
0: but like the baskets when you're resupplying during an ultra they get so heavy like I do wish they had the little mini carts Mm. so that you could like and is that's that something just you have in lazy. canada we definitely don't have mini carts no. at gas stations in the u.s no 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 we okay, don't okay. but this is like if anybody who owns a gas station and i i'm not i'm not for big oil but like the resupply element of it if anybody has like a little mini mart and they have need to boost business and there's an ultra race going by get us a little cart just one cart <laughs> like one of those little kid carts that's on the ground <laughs> you know just little like
1: yeah like the like little le- like
0: um yeah, the the cars. Oh, oh my gosh, the, the electronic on ones. Yes. Yeah, yes.
2: that's what we need. Okay, so anyways. <laughs> back back to, <laughs> <continual> <laughs> circle. Um, yeah, I guess after the Trans Am, I was really looking for another uh, race to do. And um, my friend Matias, who I met during the Trans Am, suggested we sign up for the North Cape Tarifa. Because once you do a 6,800 kilometer race, obviously you want to do something bigger. Hmm. And this was 7,300 <laughs> from North Cape Norway to the tip of Tarifa, Spain. So I uh, started training more. I got an indoor trainer. Um, I didn't have any ventilation so it was really hard to ride it. I just broken up with my boyfriend and lived in a windowless like basement suite. It was like oh a hobble. So it was oh. a very difficult place to train. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the winters in Saskatoon are quite harsh. So once a week I went to the track. It's not a cycling track. It's an indoor running track where they let us ride around in circles for two hours with hmm. a
0: That's pretty cool that they let you ride. Yes, it was really fun.
2: You had to be careful for pedal strikes on the corner and they had a 35k an hour cap because, Uh, yeah, for safety. Yeah, There was quite a few injuries that have taken place there over the years. Um, Yikes. But yeah, I trained through the winter, uh, flew to um, Germany to meet Matthias. Uh, We flew to Norway, spent a week touring in the beautiful Lofoten Islands in northern Norway. And they're just like these crazy majestic fjords and red fishing huts Mm -hmm. and fish drying everywhere. Mm. And very beautiful, expensive and cold, but incredible (laughs) scenery. Mm. Um, We got to the start of the race and um, it was midnight. So it was a cool time to roll out on Mm. summer solstice. Mm -hmm and we, yeah, we raced, I guess, half of it to Bergenz, Austria, about 4,000 k in, and then scratched, more due to his ailments than mine, but Mm. we both had to scratch, because I was such a shoddy navigator, and so insecure being in Europe by myself, (laughs) that I could not continue alone, Mm. and and yeah, he really encouraged me to stick with it, and keep going, and I I couldn't imagine riding solo, so Mm. we, um, I just took it down a couple notches and toured through the Alps and we spent a few days in nice a week in Corsica off route visiting his friends mm. and then when we got to the border of Andorra he took a train home and I continued through Andorra and Spain to tarifa solo so that was really where I kind of came into myself as a as a European bike tourist mm. and we just <laughs> <laughs> finally got roundabouts and the signage. The roundabouts.
0: <laughs> the roundabouts. <laughs> okay. I love that. I'm I disagree. They're I disagree. Roundabouts are amazing. Yes. Especially like in a car, they make way more sense. There's less like the flow of traffic makes it. But yes, as a bike, as a cyclist. It's it, a little scary I when it's that. like a f a four-lane.
2: Roundabout, oh, 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 you're, you're like yeah, I'm yeah. gonna die today <laughs> in this
0: roundabout. <laughs> Megan's like, please, it's too soon already. You know,
2: I think I can handle the small ones, and my, the danger as a cyclist around here is you you run them pretty fast, and cars don't expect you, and then they, you know, yeah. yeah. So if you ride them safely, they're okay. But the big ones are the ones that give me nightmares, and I literally like burst into tears a few times because I didn't know what to do, and I would mm. just like walk around the edges like crying, holding my bike, and mm. um, so so. Those memories make me feel really proud of what I've accomplished since then, I guess. No kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I, after that race, I decided I wasn't going to do another pairs race. We mm, uh, we had a lot of fun, That's but fair. I wanted to compete solo. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the next race I signed up for was the North Cape 4000 because I kind of Felt like that was um, maybe a like, better organized race and a bit shorter, about 4,000 K instead of 7,300. Mm-hmm. That one starts in Italy. It finishes in North Cape, Norway at the end of the pavement, and it changes route every year. So I did that in 2019. Nice. I was um, cat sitting, staying with friends in Switzerland and Germany and I got to ride to the start, um, in Turin and it was, uh, it was a wonderful event for me. I feel like I rode pretty hard. I was in good spirits most of the time. Um, I dealt with my mishaps well. I stealth camped, um, confidently there's a ferry ride. Um, so you get kind of this very long built-in break. I think I got on the ferry at nine and I got off at like, like 6 PM or something. And I, Whoa. Yeah, I got a room and I slept the entire time. And nice.
0: Wait, these ferries have rooms? That's kind of it's kind of, so it's like a cruise ship. I don't style know. Ferry? It's
2: like yeah, there's some rooms that you can book underneath, and I was willing to pay the extra to get that quality sleep for the mm-hmm. day, right? So it yeah. had that kind of natural reset point about halfway through the race, which I think was it was huge for me. I also arrived at the ferry terminal in the evening, so I got a night in a hotel. The ferry left once a day, so I made mm. the ferry. There were other people who rolled up to the ferry terminal like an hour before it departed. Mm -hmm. though and then didn't get a room so the baby didn't get a uh, good quality rest so I think that really really put me into the second half of the event in in good spirits um and and yeah and then after that the pandemic happened Mm -hmm. and I uh kind of came out of the pandemic swinging and just really excited to compete again I did a lot of Mm -hmm. road cycling in the Okanagan and just um just doing long rides for fun uh but in a in a challenging way you know I would set out like a 450 kilometer route and be like, okay, let's see if we can do this uh, in 24 hours or not. So those kinds of things kept me going.
0: So cool. And so at this point in time, up until 2020, and I think I read on your blog, you were until 2021, really, you were primarily doing road events.
2: That's right, yeah. Um, I got my road bike, and I didn't really realize there was another way to ride a bike until recently, (laughs) (laughs) Um, besides mountain biking, which I had no interest in. Like I said, I've already screwed up my knees, Hmm. so I didn't really want to get into another high-risk activity. Um, In 2019 to 2021, I worked as a care attendant, mostly for a fellow with a spinal cord injury. And the reason oh, I was wow. hired was because I was a cyclist and he wanted to uh, hire someone who could help him do adaptive cycling. Mm, um, wow. So, cool. yeah, I was not hired because I'm a good caregiver. I was hired <laughs> because I'm a biker. And <laughs> I, mean, I think I'm decent. Like, I listen and I care and I cook okay food. Yeah. But uh, he really wanted people to ride with. And a lot of his attendants were folks that just didn't, didn't want to be out in nature. They wanted to be kind of, you know, at home providing care to someone. And so we had tons of cool adventures around uh, Penticton and Summerland on the rail trail and Mm -hmm. some rougher stuff. He also did a lot of, um, four by fouring. So I would drive his vehicle and he would direct me into these crazy situations. And I would be like, wait,
0: wait, wait, you drove a four by four, like riding bikes on those. I'm like, how the F does a car go up? these? It was
2: terrifying. Like I, (laughs) I have not done something scarier for work and we both just had to have a lot of trust in each other. I had to trust that he was able to direct me what to do. And he had to trust that I wasn't going to, um, you know, freak out and crash into a tree. And he was transferred into the passenger seat of the vehicle so if something happened I would have to go and get help so I carried my spot with us but um there was a few situations where I had to like build up Little platforms and dig us out of the snow or back up for oh like literally two kilometers. Oh, Megan,
1: you have yeah. a wild life story.
2: <laughs> I know this isn't what people think of when they think of like caregiving, right? Um, he's a he's a really cool guy. Or like
0: when we think of Megan Hacken and we look at your list of accomplishments and we're like, we know you're a badass. We know you're super fast. We know that you are like incre- incredibly determined and can do whatever you set your mind to. But these are the layers that I'm like, this is like, I don't think I could do more that. that. I could have won. It. I
1: don't think I could do said four-wheeling and I I just I'd be like I'm out but I'm in, I'm so impressed Megan that is so cool. And be
0: a caregiver yeah, like it's not like same. you're just it, you're not just this person's driver mm-hmm. you are also caring for like they are in your mm-hmm. care and you're I would say pretty essential to their well-being. Mm-hmm.
2: Wow. It was challenging sometimes um but you know I think the fact that this uh this person believed in me um and yeah. I wanted um, I wanted to be able to take him out into the wilderness because this mm. is where he was happiest, was mm-hmm. out on his um, yeah. adaptive bike or out in, you know, his uh, off-road vehicle. And we would go and have these cool little day trip, like, picnics at forest mm. um, wow. rec sites in the interior. Uh, we did a lot of camping um, for, like, 36-hour kind of camping trips. We'd leave early in the morning, come back the next afternoon, set up camp, go fishing. I always hoped that we wouldn't catch a fish because I didn't want to kill one, but... <laughs> Sometimes it happened. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. Um, And he eventually moved to um, Ontario to live closer to his family. um, And I helped him move Mm -hmm. there. And after that, I was uh, unemployed um, just before the BC Epic. So it was really good timing uh, because I could put a lot into training for that race and the preparations. So
0: was BC Epic your first off-road race and I'll share a little bit more
2: context about BC Epic for listeners but curious about that first yes it was I got my bike in at the end of March and the race was in June and did
0: you do the did you do the buckshot as the preparation event for that as well I
2: did the buckshot route as a shakedown ride there was still travel restrictions and so I didn't feel safe driving there or I didn't feel like I was being a law health-abiding citizen Mm. to drive there yeah that's fair so I waited until the restrictions were lifted and did it um did it on my own and it was my first kind of solo adventure overnighter um on um in a, in an off-road bike which is very different than mm-hmm. you know riding <laughs> on totally the different and,
0: so totally yeah. different at mm-hmm. uh- so for listeners, the BC Epic is a thousand kilometer race that starts in Merritt, British Columbia, up in Canada, um, which is kind of like a desert environment, if you will, on like the border of the Okanagan, and then it goes from Merritt all the way to Fernie in the Canadian Rockies, which is just on the border of British Columbia and Alberta. So it follows a series of I would say like ninety 90 plus percent off-road on rail trail for the first kind of chunk of it and then you get into some more gnarlier single track stuff um, as you get closer to the Rockies and there is one there's a ferry crossing and then there's a gigantic mountain pass right after the ferry crossing um, which I can't imagine that climb would feel very good on your legs after sitting on the ferry for an hour
2: like, ooh. there's a bit of a warm up into it, but it's a long climb. I think it's like 1500 meters or something like that. It's pretty substantial, especially after you've been riding rail grade climbs that just they just feel slow. You know, they just drag. Yeah. But
0: I hate like I I love the Okanagan, but I hate the rail trail. It's sandy and it's slow. And in my opinion, it's boring, but it is it is like being unbiased, it's lovely. So if you want to get into off-road riding, it's a great
2: place to start. Um, So you started off-road riding in the Okanagan, right? That's right. Yeah. I was worried the pandemic would never end. And Mm -hmm. my client kept making fun of me for being a roadie. And (laughs) I think maybe it got to me after a while. Also, I kind of discovered the the joy of being out in these Mm -hmm. um, more remote places with them. Mm -hmm. And of course, I've camped and, and hiked and done this on my own. But getting out so frequently with him it really forced me to reevaluate and be like why am i riding on the road next to these trucks and camper vans and <laughs> full of debris and people who like just want to kill me no they don't really want to kill me but i realized oh, there was a whole- some of them <laughs> some of them maybe some of them do So I realized there was this whole other world out there. I started asking around about what bike to buy. I had like three people recommend a salsa cutthroat. And I found one Mm -hmm. used in Alberta, actually. And I convinced my dad to drive out there with me to Mm. to pick it up in in March. And we had this little road trip in the van. Literally the next week, the border closed for health reasons. So I just snuck in there and grabbed it.
0: Yeah. Mm.
2: And it just turned out to be the perfect bike for me people always ask me for bike recommendations and I'm like I don't know I've only ridden like three bikes I have a road bike a TT bike and uh adventure Mm -hmm. bike and I can't I can't talk about bike brands I just I ride these three bikes and Mm -hmm. they all work for me Mm -hmm. I don't have experience on other bikes Mm -hmm. so go talk to someone at a bike store
0: well I think that's a great like that a lot of people just think oh I'll just ride whatever so and so tells Mm -hmm. me to ride and it's so It's so subjective and everybody has a very different experience. Like not everybody has ridden every single Mm. bike. So I I love the just humility of being like, go talk to Mm. a bike shop. Here's my experience. And if you, if you want to do that, great, but bike shops will tell you more.
2: Definitely. Yeah. They run them all day.
1: I think that it's important when, you know, like I have more follow-up questions with this, but that when people ask for tips on things to give multiple responses for different types of mm-hmm. riders because there are so many like you know some people want to, you want to ride on the fastest bike or whatever but like knowing mm-hmm. your audience I think is super important mm-hmm. um because somebody's going to be way different in their tire choice or their bike choice for what they're yeah. actually looking to do so my follow up question sort of with this statement is that what like if you were to be talking to somebody who's just getting into off-road riding as something that's new to them what would you share as somebody who's in the last couple years gotten into off-road riding like what have you learned maybe like some mistakes you've made or you know things like that I know we
2: all have them so I would say get a spot tracker or a Mm. Garmin inreach Mm -hmm. and I love that yeah get out there I think if you're if you're riding on Forest Service roads or even rail trail, you you should be you should be safe. You shouldn't be out there just by yourself where no one knows where you are and something could happen to you. I think that, I don't know, I, I think that's a little bit irresponsible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and it will give you maybe peace of mind if that's something you're worried about as well, um, especially mm-hmm. a two way communication device, um, mm-hmm. and then and talk to people. For me, it was a combination of getting out there alone and finding help from others for instance riding with others or a friend's husband who works at a bike shop taught me about tubeless repair and maintenance and disc Mm. brakes and he just sat me down and gave me a mini lesson Um, and those things helped me improve really rapidly Um, you don't need to go and do epic rides solo if it's more fun for you to ride with other people you know, maybe friends or family or a club, that's, that's fine as well. Um, I think I like to do it because I find it more convenient and mm. I crave those mm-hmm. times by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's necessarily a prerequisite though. Um, and then I took a mountain bike clinic to improve my mm. skills last year. Smart. It was huge because I realized I wanted to compete and I didn't have this innate knowledge of how to handle the bike and my mm-hmm. Mm, what's it kind of understanding my body geometry and how that worked with the bike it wasn't there maybe as a kid we have these things but I had lost it by the time I turned like 35 and yeah it was it was really really valuable um I was supposed to take another clinic in the spring and then I dislocated my finger and then I caught COVID so I kind of missed the, the dates for that But I'm taking a a refresher next week and we'll probably continue taking periodical like lessons just to just to Mm -hmm. keep building my skill set, because like I said, it doesn't come naturally to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that going out and riding, riding a lot and riding hard um, will will definitely help you improve. But for me, I found like huge value in spending two hours with a certified mountain bike instructor.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and like a lot of it is is Psychological because you're looking at a feature like a quote feature or you know, a log or a little drop or something, Rudy, and your brain is like, I might fall yeah. or that might be really hard. Whereas, if you move your body or your bike in a certain way, like the bike actually can do 90% of the work, it's just kind of getting over that hurdle mm-hmm. of like knowing what your bike and your body are capable of without actually too much thought. So, I mean, yeah, I've wanted to do a mountain bike clinic forever because. It, when you learn the proper technique, you're like, oh, that's actually that's actually not that mm-hmm. hard. I mean, it, it it is still a hard, challenging thing, but you're like, oh, it's much more doable when you actually just break it down into basic steps instead of just send it. <laughs> like that that doesn't work for everybody. I
1: agree. <laughs> I think just send it the- only works for like two percent of the population. Guys. Or,
0: I think it only works for guys because I'll be like fear. mountain biking with my yeah with I'll be mountain biking or like riding gravel bikes with my fiance and I'll be like honey like what did you do to get over that and he'll just go oh I just rode it <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like no you probably like put your weight somewhere or you like looked and pointed your chest at something like you did something you didn't just ride it hmm. anyways I could wax poetic about that I'll, I every every time every time we get on attention of like mountain bike skills I'm like somebody go watch Katie Burrell's videos oh my god yes because that's that's my relationship on mountain bikes well, we're a little bit better anyways <laughs> i'll have to go check it out
1: katie burrell hilarious <laughs> so by is- the way for anybody who's listening yeah. she's like a she just plays jokes at like the typical situations that happen in relationships yeah. when they're like people outdoorsy or like you know a new mountain biker whose partner is more advanced than them it's like I mean, we've all been there when you're outside out riding with somebody who's like way more advanced than you and you just get so frustrated because you're like, I don't understand how you're doing this exactly like what Mel's saying. So anyway, she's a, she's a funny comedian to, to watch.
0: Um. So you, you've done some mountain bike skills clinics, this, but I couldn't agree more with having like a two-way communication device, especially Mm -hmm. because like a lot of the riding where we live, Megan is primarily forest service roads and you're out of cell service and I mean, a lot of the stuff, like I was just down in Washington state and we were on forest service roads, no service. We had like my in reach, but yeah, investing in one of those devices early on. And if you hate off-road riding, you can sell it, but it's great to have that peace of mind. Um, Anything else in there that you'd recommend to folks just getting started off the road?
2: I think those are the big ones. Like. It can be very fun to plan routes. I, I think that's a great winter activity because there's a lot of, um, yeah, there's a lot of resources from the, you know, back road map book to um, the heat maps on private GPS and Strava. And mm. so, you know, that might be another avenue for you to explore, but there's also a lot of documented routes on bikepacking.com and other kind of regional mm-hmm. websites and blogs um, so there's definitely no shortage of places to go, and um, to me, that's one of the huge joys is being able to link yeah. up interesting routes on and off pavement that you wouldn't expect. Um, I guess another thing I would say is um, try not to um, try not to get overly caught up in your expectations for yourself, mm. because on the road, yeah. it's very predictable. Like you know, you know, you're going to do this many kilometers an hour for um whatever distance and if there's a hill climb sure you'll slow down a bit but off-road like I did a ride yesterday and I thought I rode really hard and I rode like 19k an hour for like five hours and I uh I had a longer ride planned um distance wise and I just realized I wasn't going to get down from the plateau um while the sun was up and I wanted to descend in daylight because it's beautiful and not too cold um and so I I kind of you know adjusted mid-route and was okay with that so i i think you know if you plan an epic ride that's great but um just being okay with yourself if maybe you don't <laughs> you don't get mm. to ride at all because totally. there's some gnarly stuff thrown in there
0: yeah and what looks straightforward on paper off-road almost never is mm-hmm. like something that you anticipate being fast is usually slower something slow sometimes as fast like it's not apples to apples whereas like on the road like you said your speed is predictable you know, you know, you'll slow down on a climb.
2: Yeah. Race directors have a lot of fun with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Correct. Race directors do have a lot of fun with that. And some are very understated. <sighs> about. Before we, I, I, Cynthia and I both really want to talk about like your ambitions for the sport. Mm-hmm. And, but, but on the note of race directors, I did have a listener question mm-hmm ask what you thought about the dark divide because it's a route is, is it washington or that's oregon? right
2: it's in washington but it finishes in portland oregon but mm-hmm. it is in washington except for the last few miles
0: yeah so this was the first year there was a grand depart but that race has it, the route has existed for a while i think the guys from the youtube channel the impossible route wrote it so maybe they did I'm something different hmm. they did
2: a route in because they
0: to be like heli in there.
2: <laughs> yeah so the dark divide um area it's called the dark divide motorless area and so you can't really get a vehicle okay. in there mm-hmm. and I think the timing oh, okay. was interesting because I'd never heard about it before but that youtube video came out around the time this route came out so I know the dark divide okay. route that it's run by evergreen gravel and it's existed for a, a little while for sure it's um 300 300- and thirty miles, which I think is about five hundred and twenty kilometers. Mm-hmm. Can't quite convert it, but it goes through the Cascade region in Washington, starting in Olympia, which is an easy jumping-off point. You can take a train there and finishes in Portland, yeah. which again it's a nice hub to finish in. But mm-hmm. it is, it is gritty and rugged and remote. Um, and I would actually compare it to a lot of the ultras we have in BC, like mm. the Lost Elephant okay. or the AR Seven Hundred.
0: Okay. So it's pretty, sing- like for folks who haven't raced those events, like relatively single track intensive, medium, big-ish mountain, like big mountain passes. Was there hike-a-bike?
2: There was like a 15 kilometer hike-a-bike. Yeah. There was a- Wonderful. Oh, sweet. Mm. Yeah. So there's a ridgeline trail called Juniper Ridge that connects these two kind of valleys. And um, you can ride some of it, but you can't ride all of it. And I think if you were mm-hmm. on an unloaded full suspension mountain bike, you could ride most of it, mm-hmm. but on like a bike bikepacking okay. rig without um, suspension, <laughs> it was, uh, it was more challenging. And I, you know, I was competitive. I wanted to race it. I wanted to send a new women's FKT. Jen Hine had just,
0: you were neck and neck.
2: Like I was dot watching
0: that (laughs) and you and the leader. And also there was a person chasing you down too. It was like the top three was quite, quite competitive. Yeah.
2: Myself, Andy Lovato, he was fifth in the tour divide in 2021. And I think second in the race across Washington this year. Um, And then the third place rider in that event, I placed second, was Becca Book, and she's a gravel mm. racer from Seattle. She yeah. came up and placed uh, fourth in the Buckshot, and mm. then third in the Dark Divide. So she's really up and coming and, and quite strong. Um, just needs Love to, to hear figure it. out how to use a spot tracker properly. Yeah. <laughs> Her device kept like shutting off and glitching. Mm. In both races, she didn't get to the finish. The dot just like stopped in the field uh. somewhere. And I was like, you have to oh, make your no. dot at the finish and she's like I can't yeah it's got to do
0: a little dance on track like, she's never danced uh, dang it
2: yeah
0: <sighs> dang it i love to hear about up-and-coming riders yeah. and you're de- so uh, from what you're describing like it's a pretty it's a pretty challenging route in terms of like off-road terrain and it is maybe maybe as rugged as people are are thinking it might be yeah
2: like if you're coming from BC and done some events here it's not super surprising but uh, I think in contrast to like we'll say the epic it's much more difficult than most of the epic the epic has some spicy bits um there but that's like yeah yeah, there's this one section of decommissioned road where like every hundred feet there was a giant pile of dirt that you had to carry your bike over so it was like these (laughs) circles yeah and there there was like 20 or something of them and there's stinging nettle and bushes and not the stinging nettle (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah. And it was just like, when will these things end? And I was joking that Jan Hine, who had just set the FKT, had his like, you know, magazine posse from Bicycling Quarterly come in and make these giant piles of dirt because they were kind <laughs> of new to, like mess up anyone going for a new FKT. Um, but yeah, so there's that there's some terrain that, you know, is hike a bike. Um, there's not a lot of single track. Mm-hmm. It's mostly trail. There's a couple of um, roads that are out of commission that basically have turned to trail. It's rideable trail, but it's quite slow going to get through. It's pretty wild. You know, you can see bears and deer and uh, lots of PCT through hikers in areas, which was kind of neat. Yeah, they're little tents in the woods. Mm. Um, There's very little resupply. So Mm. Mm -hmm. my first resupply was, I think... Um, like maybe 170 kilometers in Ooh, and yeah. then there is nothing else it. until the Whoa. finish so a lot of carrying yeah.
0: which like you, you could carry all that food but I think resupply at least for me is so important because oftentimes when you're racing hard you don't actually want to eat the food that you have and so just getting something new is a good kind of mental spark <laughs> even though you probably have lots of food I'm like fuck it it's all awful <laughs> I don't want it just get me something new.
2: Yeah, yeah. Dealing with that was hard because um, there's an out and back to one of the resupplies. I got there at like one thirty, so I no. filled up with my, you know, I filled my water up with the hose and and left. And that was my like that was my carrot getting fresh water from a hose instead mm. of filtering it off a creek, which yeah. like takes longer. Yeah. It tastes great, but takes longer. So yeah, I, I would I would definitely say dark divide for someone who's got a little bit more experience. Or maybe you have better bike handling skills and you, you Mm. know, accept that it's just going to be a challenge. Um, Mm a lot of people took a few days to to race it. The event director was really good about offering early registration to underrepresented folks, women, non-binary, cool. BIPOC, and reserving spots for them in the event. And he was also awesome. really good about saying like, yeah, this is a grand depart. It's a race, but it's also a ride. Like you do it as fast as you mm-hmm. want to do it. So there's no shame in finishing later, which I think is quite cool. I think the event started on Thursday. So most people are wrapped up by Sunday. So you can mm-hmm. go back. To the the work week, um, you know, maybe not feeling fresh, but mm-hmm. you wrapped up your race. Um, so mm-hmm. I do think it's accessible in in, in many ways, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I, I think it's also important to know your limits and know where you are going to have to walk because you can't handle this kind of terrain. And yeah. um, I pre rode the course with my partner James over like five days the week before, so I kind of had those spots sketched out in my mm-hmm. head. So mm-hmm. I was quick yeah, to jump smart. off the bike and just push it and not waste time or like berate myself. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, other years there's been more snow and water crossings. It was quite dry this year. So there was mm. only a couple water crossings. But That's nice. Previously, there's been water crossings. I, I'm Me not too. A fan. I'm a roadie princess when it comes to them. I'm just like, oh my God, huh? why didn't you build a bridge?
0: <laughs> so when you see our like promo for the episode, I'm taking that specific (laughs) quotes it was too good (laughs) please do oh Oh. oh my gosh I feel like I mean we really wanted to chat about TCR um but I think like we could talk infinitely with you so I I almost want to save TCR for like another episode one day but selfishly and I think this is just something that's really important to Cynthia and I is like one like what are are you What are your goals with the sport? And like, are you hoping to turn it into I mean, I would say it's sort of from an outsider looking in, it's sort of a career for you, because you're an author, you've, uh, you, I think I heard on my back 40, you also work for a small nonprofit, and you race a lot, like way more than I think most people if it was just a hobby. And so I'm curious, like, what are, what are your aspirations? Mm And yeah, what kind of
2: Go ahead. Yeah. Um, cycling is a huge passion of mine, a big part of my life. It is something that I use as material for my writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how to transition it to a career. I just mm-hmm. don't understand how to make that leap. Um, I don't yeah. know how someone would make money on a bicycle unless you're a courier. And I know there are some <laughs> high profile, yeah. James is a bike courier, so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And there's some high profile endurance athletes who've managed it, but I just don't understand the mechanics of making money from cycling or like money in general. Yeah. I'm really bad at money. I don't mm-hmm. understand how the bike industry actually works. Um, <laughs> right really now, I literally. I don't think
0: it, I, to be frank, I don't really think it's working. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Unfortunately. Uh, so yeah, like right now, I literally spend all my money on bike stuff. Um, I'm I am mean um, 38. <laughs> I live at home with my parents so that I don't have to work all the time and Mm -hmm. I can save the money that I would be paying on rent on um, on bike stuff and create more space for creativity and and writing because that's Mm -hmm. quite time consuming. Right. And I I want I feel like I feel like I'm good at writing, but I need space and time to do it. So not Mm -hmm. having to stress about as many bills is really helpful. Um, so yeah, right now cycling is a very obsessive hobby that lights me up, but drains my bank account. Mm. Um, I did get paid to ride my bike recently though. And I'm really excited to share this. Um, oh my gosh, that's, that is really cool. Like the first yeah tell us, okay tell, tell, us. tell us more about that <laughs> so I was um I was hired by Liv um they're a big oh. bike brand I don't know if you've heard of them yeah <laughs> I'm joking yeah, the, w- the women's good.
0: line of oh
2: <laughs> sorry I'm like the most gullible but for anybody who doesn't know Liv they are the, they're like the women's giant. brand of yeah. giant yeah yeah um, so they were looking for talent for an ad promoting the new gravel bike, the devote Ooh. or the new version of it. And they were looking for um, something at the last minute because they had been tied up with like, I think, Tour de Femmes stuff. Mm. And I just happened yeah. to be in the right place in the right time. Colin um, was smoked out. So I was happy to go someplace else and be involved in the shoot. Cool. And uh, it was really awesome working with this creative team. Um, They had me do like a million hill repeats in this gorgeous setting. (laughs) I thought it was going to be easy, but it was literally like, we want you to look like you're working. So I was just like sprinting again and again and again, Mm -hmm. which was fun. I liked Mm -hmm. it, but my Mm -hmm. legs were killing me after. Um, And they, they compensated me quite well for it, which was really great. But, I think the problem now is that people think I'm sponsored by live oh. and I was just <laughs> contracted to do this one project mm-hmm. and I would be happy yeah. to do other things like that for them or other bike companies. But um, I mm-hmm. think it, it could be difficult because then people think you're sponsored and then mm-hmm. a potential bike sponsor might not approach me because like, Oh, well, she's sponsored by live when that mm-hmm. is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a great experience and just really fun um, to get paid to do something I love. And, and they were, they were good in so many ways in that they, I was worried like I'm a size large I feel like in many ways I don't necessarily like look like some of the ultra leaf light women in the peloton and when Mm -hmm. we were planning the shoot they asked for my size and they gave me the full range of clothing sizes they had so like I could be like yeah I'm an XXL and they would be like okay cool here are the clothes we're gonna give you and you know Mm -hmm. when I was um when they were shooting, I got some, I guess, like, what's the word editorial advice, or I got directive advice and, and things like, you know, I was like, Oh, I'm just kind of like, I feel a little self conscious. And they were like, No, you look great. You look powerful. We want to see more of that. We want to see your power. And I was like, man, you know, Mm. just what to say to me to get me going.
1: (laughs) Not their first rodeo.
0: But Mm. I think that that's so relatable for so many people, like, it's not even just in like a photo shoot Mm -hmm. scenario. But like, I, I struggle with putting on kit Mm -hmm. and like I recently got a clothing sponsor and like sending them an email being like, Hey, I'd like a large in this. And I'm, but then I'm like, wait, what does that matter? Like that actually Doesn't doesn't matter at all because as long as I feel good about riding my bike and like, I love that word, like powerful, you know how you have a character when you play roller derby, like I am this different version of myself when I'm riding a bike and have to use those words. App, like as affirmation so it's hmm. it's always like i don't love that you have felt that way too but it makes me feel less alone and i'm sure other people listening as well definitely be like oh, okay this is normal that i feel this way
2: yeah i think, I think we all have, we a, have a lot of, of imposter
1: syndrome <laughs> yeah. a lot of women have have that unfortunately we have to band together and get rid of it i actually explained yeah, I what imposter more... syndrome
0: was to my mom the other day and she was like oh
1: interesting huh did
0: she have a billion stories of being like yeah that's plagued my life uh-huh. too. basically i was like i was like
1: i mean i think you and every other woman mom i literally said that but yeah she was like oh that makes a lot of sense okay okay mm.
0: it is such a challenging thing like i i too cynthia and i have this conversation regularly in our texts like how can we make a career out of riding our bikes and like doing bike adjacent mm-hmm. things and it, it's definitely like very exciting when like little things like that you get to be part of a shoot or you get a clothing sponsor or like
1: you get an email back from a sponsor that says a, they want
0: to meet with you you're like
1: oh my god <laughs> you're like <"Woo!" laughs>
0: won the lottery so I, yeah but i i really appreciate you being so candid mm-hmm. megan because i think that the only way like we were talking about this before we came we went live was like instagram and the internet gives such a skewed perception of what people are actually getting or how they're able to make a career like you see people with you know the latest greatest bike the latest greatest kit they're not most people are not making money um and that's hard because that can make you feel like shit am i behind Mm -hmm. or like how do i do this but a lot of it is just smoke and mirrors at least like be like i'll ask anybody any question so (laughs) i've I've been sleuthing in this area, but um I think from in regard go ahead so go
2: ahead I think I think for me um my potential in road would probably be my writing and Mm -hmm. and marketing that a bit more and Mm -hmm. I think that uh, the challenge there is just finding the time to to work on articles and pieces outside of my regular work and cycling and Mm -hmm. the winter is coming so I think that's always a good time for me to buckle down and and get some more uh, writing done but I think that is yeah maybe what makes me a little unique and you know the fact that I have beat men in four to the five races that I've done this year but um yeah
0: like you're not just winning the women's race you're consistently kicking guys asses which is super badass like you and Cynthia I'm like how amazing i think it's pretty Aww. wild that
1: within women's cycling like the women that are really in the top and we're just in general in the peloton of ultra or bike packing or whatever are like nobody is doing it as their full-time job except like maybe one person and we all know who that one person yeah. is and she's freaking crushing <laughs> it and she's gonna ride around the, on yeah. the around the world next year and it's amazing it's so but exciting. the rest of us are all doing something else to make ends meet and we're all spending a lot of our actual hard-earned dollars to do the racing because it's something that we love so much Mm -hmm. um so yeah i I hear you on that like what what did you say megan it was like something like um i don't know it drains your bank account but it gives you like this you know the rainbows and butterflies it lifts lifts you up and it (laughs) it drains your bank account (laughs) yeah Yeah, that's it it's like it's such a hard thing and i i I'm over here spending a ton of my own money and I don't think people really realize that this last year I have flown I don't know six times internationally in like the last calendar year all of those dollars are coming from my personal bank account and a lot of people yeah. would have no idea that that's the case you know like I'm yeah. paying a lot of money to get there I'm hoping that it will get me somewhere in the long run and that seems like an investment to me that's worth it and mm-hmm. I know that probably the same feels for for both of you like whether it's gonna get you far in terms of like exposure or maybe dollars down the way but like it's all an investment mm-hmm. in, in yourself and also in the sport as well. Um, so yeah I, I I hear like having to <laughs> to to yeah. pay your way basically uh, it's
2: challenging but it's so worth it. Yeah. I think another thing that makes it tricky too is like um you know self-supported ultracycling is it's not it's not like a sanctioned event really mm. in the eyes of mm-hmm. a lot of people or mm-hmm. it isn't at all in many cases mm-hmm. so you know there's not the same and there's not like a ton of government sources of funding but if I was like an up-and-coming 19 year old athlete road racing I might be yeah able you could for apply for funding, funding. Mm-hmm. And, and there's there's none available for what I do it's just this weird fringe thing right mm. um fringe. and I think it's it's hard too to not I don't to come across negative when i talk to people who you know and i'm sure you guys or you get this as well um people message you and say it's so great to see you doing what you love and you're crushing it and reaching your goals yeah. and you must be really happy and i'm like yeah i am i'm you know i live at home with my parents yeah. and i have no money in my bank account but i get to raise bikes so i am really happy but I, like yeah it's like i don't want to mm, i want i want to kind of reveal all those other things mm-hmm. that i go think into you should- it.
0: I actually had this conversation with someone yesterday. It is such a shame that you can't do both. Mm. Like, why do you have to have a traditional job to make? This is, I could, I don't want to get into capitalism. But (laughs) But anyways. Capitalism by (laughs) mouth. (laughs) <laughs> the whole the whole the whole point of that conversation was it's a shame you can't do both mm. right like why can't you do the thing that you love and that lights you up and like you are most definitely giving back to your community and the world with your writing Megan and you would not be able to do that without your cycling mm. like you need the cycling to do that I mean maybe maybe you, sorry I shouldn't like put you into a whole maybe you write the next great American novel I don't know that um but I think by by having these conversations I think we will I'm optimistic we will get closer to, you know, moving the needle less away from like, you must work nine to five and make all this money. I don't know. Someone's going to cancel me for that belief. (laughs) I'm a liver, not a, or actually no, a therapist told me this like years and years ago, but like I came, like I graduated college, went to a very corporate job and was very focused on being a human doing. And he's like, Mel, you need to actually like peel all that back and be a human being. Mm. And I was like, Oh, that, like, yeah, we are human beings. We are not human mm. doings, anyways.
1: Wow, that's a really interesting. That's quote. huge
0: tangent. <laughs> I know. I tell Our everybody human that. doings like, should... and
1: human beings, though. I don't know. I think yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. the nature of a lot of ultracyclists. Is that you're both, you know. You're like feeling everything very deeply, but then you're also like doing a lot of things. I mean, like you can't do an ultra cycling race and finish it without being a human doing.
0: Yes. Sometimes you have to be a bit of a machine. Um, Megan, I'm curious before we move to the hot takes rapid fire questions at the end. uh, Do you have any bucket list like races, Mm -hmm. rides or like times you're chasing or anything like that? uh, That's kind of like on your list to do one day.
2: Yeah. So the TCR was on my list for a few years because I had registered for the 2020 edition. And so mm-hmm. I'm I, I'm really glad that I got to compete in that and um, uh, finish that last summer. I think the tour divide is on my list. I'm not necessarily going to go after it next year, but it's mm-hmm. definitely on my list. And logistically, it's an easy one for me to get to the, to the start of. And I feel like I'm a bit immersed in the culture living here in B.C., um, I would love to bike around the world someday, not as an ITT, just as a eighteen to twenty four month journey, or mm. do Alaska. To- There's a memoir yeah, right is. there. There's
1: you could get that sponsored,
0: or I mean, paid for. A hundred, a hundred percent. Like we sh- you know what we should start. This is like I think Sammy Sorry has a kind of thing, and this is a tangent, but like a creative mastermind. Chat, if you will, you know mm-hmm. where they're like. There's all these women trying to do things, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just really helpful to have that workshopping mm-hmm. space to like bounce ideas mm-hmm. off. And mm-hmm. like, you probably have a rough like outline. Sorry, we're just t- no, I have nothing. I have nothing. Your- <laughs> <laughs> I can them, We're like, yeah. Anyways, um, okay. So you've got Tour Divide, ride right around the world.
2: Um, I have Ryan Corey's book about bikepacking in the Rockies, and I've never done any of those rides, so I would love mm-hmm. to go and just spend you some should. time. Yeah, it seems like a beautiful, uh, you know, area. And I've just done the AR. You've ridden there, Mel?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. So actually, and maybe we'll tell the story one day. But so Ryan Corey, for for listeners, he is was one of like the, I, I don't want to call him like OG Canadian bike packers, but he was like instrumental in making bikepacking popular and rising in Canada. And he unfortunately passed away from terminal cancer. But before he mm. passed away, he had finished writing this book. And so his wife, Sarah, got it to publish. And it is a series of like phenomenal routes through the Canadian Rockies. It's chock full of really great resources in terms of how to pack. And it's like full of resupply. So when mm. I started, I got a gravel bike. And then I really wanted to get into bike packing. And his book, just launched. And so I was like, great, I'm gonna buy this book. And I built a route based on his routes through the Rockies. So I've ridden like a huge chunk of the stuff that he has in there. Um uh, I will say for anybody, like if you build roots off of that, there is a there is hike a bike and it is sometimes like questionable. <laughs> but it's but it's good questionable. Like that's the healthy kind of tension of off-road riding. So I would say definitely ride those routes because
2: they're awesome. Yeah, cool. yeah, that's on my list. Um they're like are events that people ask me about that i don't think i'll do i have asthmatic lungs and they don't do well in the cold mm. at the silver state yep. i rode through the night below zero for like six hours and it's taken me like 10 days to get my lungs back they just oh, are dang. full of phlegm and it's hard to breathe so you won't see me at the iditarod you probably won't see me at see me at silk road just because mm. of the the temperatures Tim. um they seem like amazing events i love being a dot watcher um but i will try and stick to ones where the you know the temperatures are mostly Mm. above zero
0: yeah that's very fair the altitude in kyrgyzstan is bananas (laughs) and i mean we've seen lail have like she has asthma she's been struggling with events like that i obviously it seems like there's something else going on but matt i have a lot of respect for you just saying no like those are Mm -hmm. not in the lane that i want to be in especially when like this type of cycling takes so much from your personal health that Mm -hmm. if you want to keep riding your bike, you have to, you have to make smart decisions about like what is actually for you and what isn't.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. Thanks for, thanks for understanding.
0: (laughs) Totally. Don't let people be like, oh, you should do it. Like, I don't know. Everybody has an opinion about what you should and shouldn't do. And like, if in your heart of hearts, it doesn't light you up, then I don't know. In my opinion, in terms of picking
1: races, unless you have somebody paying you, for any reason yeah. then you should do what you want <laughs> you know yeah, that's it's your money advice. your time yeah. yeah yeah do what you want
0: Woo! okay hot mm-hmm. takes rapid fire questions mm-hmm. to wrap it up okay cool um, i going game face on <laughs> <Ready? Go>. <laughs> <laughs> it's roller derby megan right. what, you, what was your name again your your, your schwartz, and derby? Shorts Shorts and Mager. Mager. schwartz and meager schwartz okay, and yeah ready? right on okay if you had to pick Road or off road
2: ultra? Off road. Oh, I like unless it's it. Europe, and then maybe road, but not in not in North America. I would Why? Because Europe off road is boring. No, Europe road is exciting.
0: Is it, yeah, Europe like I'm following the Trans Pyrenees right now, and I was like, oh, that's a road ultra, and I fucking want to yes. do that. That looks yes. sick.
2: Yeah, I've never ridden off-road in Europe, so I can't say. I don't have an uh, okay. opinion, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but from my experiences in road cycling, the road cycling in Europe is much, uh, much nicer. There's more mm. roads. There's more pavement, whereas mm. in, especially in BC, it's like highway yeah. or forest service mm-hmm. travel, So
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
2: Agreed. Okay. So 500k or 3,000k? 500k right now. Oh, yeah.
1: okay. So you've like dialed it back. You're yeah, the this year stuff. I've
2: done events between 380 and uh, 820k, and wow. I've, I've had a lot of fun. Mm. I've experienced um, challenges of sleep deprivation. Mm-hmm. I've gotten down to really light packing schemes. So Heck yeah. I'm kind of driving in those shorter races right now and really enjoying it. I love the shorter races.
1: I feel you. They're so fun. They're so intense, you know? It's like, just like what you said, you have to go so hard. It hurts really bad. Uh, but yeah, you're crushing it. That's very, very cool to see. I love it.
0: Yeah. And also in, in case anybody, everyone, one should go follow Megan yes, after please. this Thank because you. she, you're yeah. One supporting women. You can follow them then give them your money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, buy my book. Uh,
1: buy her book. Yes, yeah. We'll buy we'll link to the, buy Megan's the book in the show
0: notes for sure. Um, but go follow Megan because she does awesome event recaps. And I was, I read the silver state one the other day and you came, you won the entire event right you the only people that beat you was a
2: a four-man team
0: a four-man team
2: a four-man team The other four man and, other my... four men and pair teams came after and what? the next closest male finisher I think was over four hours and Holy moly. he had yeah he had won the race across the west which is a the first part of ram uh, basically run as a solo yeah. race and then he had won the hoodoo who do five hundred? Who do three hundred? So mm. you know he wasn't he wasn't playing around too much either. Wow. um Yeah, it was it was exciting. um My time, I looked it up after, and it was twenty minutes slower than the year Tyler Pierce, the vegan cyclist, won it.
1: Whoa! So, heck yes! Okay. like pretty respectable oh
2: time. Um, and very yeah, respectable. No, like very very, very respectable. Yeah, like, don't don't <laughs> sugarcoat <don't, laughs> <yeah, down laughs>
0: it. Come on, come on. Um, People come on the show so we can like boost <laughs> yeah. them. Like we'll be your mm-hmm, hype women. So don't. It don't sugarcoat cool. it. <laughs> well i'll say
2: one more thing about the 508 is that i broke the women's course record it's a 40 plus year long event yeah. and the women's course record was held by leah goldstein who was the overall winner Whoa. of ram in 2021 so she's kind of a legend and she was, supposed yeah. to get this wow. race. she was injured so i didn't get to compete against her but i got to continue her record so is this an
1: off-road or a road it's road, it's road. okay
2: okay road and so it's um it's in nevada from reno to eureka Ah. uh, 508 miles out and back and there's sections that are big climbs and then there's flat fast sections so i had a road and a tt bike and my support crew swaps them back and forth so it is Ah. different than other events interesting support vehicle um but um but yeah it was it was i'm glad that i did it a lot more logistics a lot Mm. more money a lot Mm. more everything working Mm. with this team but i was happy how it panned out but you crushed it so worth it
0: yeah you are so great okay next this is like you you have too many interesting things about you megan so we could literally spend all day do this uh bivy or sleeping bag when racing or no sleep kit at all Bivvy. just a Bivvy. Oh, the e-bivy, right? Mm,
2: I've been using the SOL and I think it's mm, for shorter events. It's like for safety, right? Like Mm, you want mm -hmm, to be able to protect yourself from the elements Mm -hmm. and a sleeping bag can't do that. if it starts pouring rain, like at least you can just hide in your bivy and be this bright orange little, like, I don't know, creamsicle (laughs) in the woods. Um. Until you're I'm laying so... in
1: a puddle of water, like I recently <laughs> was,
2: and I was like, "Yeah, this isn't working anymore." So. Yeah, there, there's definitely a limit.
1: There but is.
2: yeah, I think if you're going to carry one safety item, you know, for hiking or backcountry mm-hmm. activities, I would say the the SOL bivy. Um, I prefer a sleeping bag. It's much nicer. Yeah. Mm. But I've managed events like the T C R it was quite warm and I took the Bivy in a puppy jacket and I was I was fine. Mm-hmm. So um mm-hmm. yeah. So I would I would say bivy So uh would a Bivvy
1: this probably wouldn't. If you were deciding on three luxury items that you were gonna bring with you on an adventure, it doesn't have to be a race.
0: Quote luxury Quote item. Luxury. Oh I bring a pillow. So, like the fit- Oh Are you saying that to make fun of me, Megan? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, so for context, Megan and I were on a panel, and I was like, everyone's like, what do you bring? And I said, I bring a pillow. And Megan just goes, no. (laughs) No. basically like looked at me like I had five heads which valid like valid we have very but but I was like there's no fucking way that a pillow is your choice you're making fun of me I was like
2: I download a podcast that's my luxury item a download (laughs) (laughs) no I really try not to bring luxury items I really Mm -hmm. just try and bring like wedding need for safety fair. and yeah um and and that's it and if I'm if I'm touring I'll bring a book or something but then it just gets banged up I rather bring mm. an electronic book anyways mm.
0: yeah you you did tell me you bring an e like an e-reader yeah. when you're bike packing. Mm, that's just yeah. uh, cool that's and that's fair I do that when I'm bikepacking as well mm. um okay last question which is kind of me just reading a quote from your biggest fan ever Megan and I have to read it because it's so funny okay let's see um her. When I posted to my Instagram story, uh, Mike Coulter, who is a gentleman from BC, wants to know how you are immune to death heat temperatures. And his quote, he says, seriously, her performance in 40 plus degrees at the buckshot this year still blows my mind. Piles of grown humans were reduced to tears, (laughs) cowering in creeks and in the shadows, and she looked like she was heading to the post office.
2: (laughs) um I love this guy he's great he was the second place finisher and I passed him at the gas station in Ashcroft and uh I walked in to get some food Ashcroft was maybe like I don't know 180k into a 380k race so about halfway um I walked in to get some resupply and I saw him waiting for his food at Tim Hortons and we fist bumped and I was like oh fuck no this is my chance to pull him to the lead and I <laughs> filled up my water bladder <laughs> in the bathroom and walked out and I was like I hope I have enough to get to the finish <laughs> and I just I love
0: that attacks happen in gas stations like it's not like you power past someone on a climb it's like they go in to fill up their bag in the gas station you're like I'm, Actually, out. Thinking, I'm out of
2: here <laughs> it was uh yeah yeah it was exciting exciting. exciting it was a bold move it was the last resupply that I thought I was gonna hit in the daytime um but I yeah made it to the finish she didn't catch up to me um after that the trackers kind of got glitchy with Mm. service so Mm -hmm. I I was just pushing pretty hard to stay in the lead um but yeah uh Mickey's a really cool or Mikey's a really cool guy okay um such
0: a wonderful human Yeah. Your tips for heat, riding in the heat. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So um, you got to be hungry. I think that's all I got to say. You have to Mm. be hungry and want that win and Mm -hmm. be smart about it. Mm -hmm. There was a point in the buckshot where I stopped to refill my water in a creek because I was worried that I wouldn't hit another water resupply. And it turned out there was a few other resupplies before this kind of um, dead zone. And we were going through, I think the maybe Cook, First Nation land which was super dry. I rode the route this year. Yeah Yeah, really dry exposed rocky quite beautiful. It was a really um it was a great privilege to ride through there but there's
0: but there was not much like nothing in there. No. And it was hot. So if
2: you if you get to that area and you haven't freshened up your water you're going to be in trouble. So I you know I stopped a bit earlier made sure I had water so that I didn't get into that kind of red zone like panicky um, stage. Uh, So, yeah, being hungry and just trying to be smart about things. And there's other times where I feel like I stopped maybe when I didn't need to and dip my, um, you know, my arm sleeves in the water to cool down, dip my hat and kind of took those like self-care moves. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. We're all about self-care on this pod. We love (laughs) (laughs) self-care. But uh, I'm sure Cynthia has some trips, trips, some tips from Badlands, too, because that one's notoriously hot, isn't it? You know,
1: it wasn't that hot. Well, it was a little hot this year. But uh, I just pretend it's not hot. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I guess if you're, like you said, if you're hungry for it, um, yeah. I ride slower when I find shade. <laughs> so if there's like shade, yeah. I'm going like two miles an hour,
0: but just enough to not fall yeah. over uh, as long as possible. And then back in the sun again. Um, well, this this year at the AR, Megan, it went up to 45 oh, degrees oh on... Uh, is- I, I guess it was the third day for me, and I was stopped in Elkford, and this forest fire that had been going for about a month had actually jumped the road, and so the road that I was supposed to go up was closed. And it was so hot, like, I was so warm that I kept yawning, and yawning is apparently a way for your body to cool itself oh. down. So when you get, when you're starting to overheat, mm. you may find yourself really, really, like, tired mm. and yawning. Mm. and I was at the gas station in Elkford and I didn't know if I was going to like, because sometimes when you're riding beside a river, like the road goes up and down and you end up actually like really far up a cliff instead of close to the bottom of the creek. Yeah. The guy at the gas station was watering the sidewalk and I walked up to him and I'm like, can you hose oh me my down? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what? And I said, me, like hose me down. And he didn't quite get it. So I just started taking my shirt off (laughs) so that he could at least, so he could like do my shirt and that made it worse. But anyways, yeah, like my tips are lay down in a creek. If you see one, like dump your head Mm -hmm. in, never miss a water stop. Like even if you think you're going to be fine, it's not worth Mm -hmm. gambling, Mm -hmm. especially when it's that Mm -hmm. hot. Mm -hmm. Like just take the time because worst case you finish with water. If you have it, worst case, if you don't have it, something actually detrimental to your health could happen Mm so um that's really smart of you megan thanks thanks Mm. well this has been an absolute delight um your book shifting gears just came out today so we'll link it in the show notes as well as your first book and actually before we go listeners were curious have you thought about doing audiobooks like recording your books as audio?
2: So it's actually my biggest failure. It was oh. a pandemic project and it just proved to be too much for me. Not mm. because like the technical challenges are great and it's a big project, but I mm-hmm. had a hard time finding my voice and I had this crisis of identity and Whoa. it, I, it sometimes too oh. high pitched. wasn't mm. consistent. And so, yeah. you know, I, I, it's hard enough with the tech side of things. And then you're just wondering like, who am I? Uh, and yeah, so I had yeah. to stop and back off. Also, like I mentioned, I live at home with my parents. So I was recording in their walk-in closet. So they have to be out of the house. And um, (laughs) they're away quite a bit, but they have to be out of town with the dog. Otherwise, I have to be dog mom. And it's on my to-do list. They're going to Honduras in November. So we'll see if that's kind of a chance where I can. No, I can't because I'm taking care of the dog. Yeah, I don't know. I would like to. Well, I love audiobooks. I think it's a great Mm -hmm. way to consume information and literature,
1: especially while you're Um, doing
2: an ultra. Totally. Yeah, Yeah, I've listened to so many great audiobooks while I'm on big rides. And just I feel like I connect with the author while I'm out there. And I think it's a great way to deliver Mm -hmm. nonfiction specifically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's it's something that I yeah, I'm working on it maybe one day.
0: Yeah and you, you you could always get someone else to read it but I think it's, it's your, your, voice, story, your story so yeah. it's it's best from you and I I would say take your time with it because mm-hmm. it's yours yeah. right and was just curious
2: for sure. Oh. Maybe if I could get a grant to hire like a coach or something like that to kind of help me get through it. And cool. um,
0: I'll start researching grants for you. Thank oh, you. Thanks, Mel. That's
2: <laughs> wonderful. Rockstar. Mel's here. the
0: biggest hype woman out there. Literally,
1: you got a project. Well, also, Tell Mel about it. She's on yeah, it.
0: Yeah. No, seriously. If you like ever want to chat about uh recording, especially like having done the podcast now, like really deep into recording audio and learning, and so if you just have questions, but um, oh,
2: wonderful! I appreciate that like so much. Yeah,
0: you're most welcome. And if anybody has listened to this and wants to sponsor Megan, you should. Yes, please. Um, That's yeah, because that is the way to push women's sports forward. Is like actually actually supporting folks with dollars. Mm well, Megan, this has been such thank a delight. You. We didn't even get through like I everything know, yeah. we wanted to cover, we'll but revisit this, this again. is long enough. Yeah. for And perfect, because now people will be hooked, and they'll want to have you back on the show.
2: Awesome. Leave them so, on a yeah. cliffhanger ending. What yes, happened on the TCR? Come back and find out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then the next yeah. race that you do, yeah. and, then the one, and, and then the next one. And the next one, and the next one. All the exciting things. Well, thank you so much.
2: Uh, it's been wonderful talking yeah. to both of you, and um, I am stoked to follow along the podcast and hear everyone's stories, what yeah what an awesome opportunity like kudos to both of you thanks
0: thanks megan